<laughs> Hello, everyone. You are out on the town. I am Johnny Boyser. Whoa, we're getting some feedback. I am Johnny Boyser, and this is the show about everything great in Seattle where it never rains, there is no traffic, and beer is food. <laughs> We're broadcasting live from the Beverage Place Pub. Thank you, Gary Sink, who celebrates 12 years on December 10th. You should all come here just five days from now. The show is also brought to you by Decopa Brands, bringing you wine, awesome wine from around the world. That's D-A-Q-O-P-A dot com. Couldn't do the show without this guy. Keith Johnson's great. And uh, also had a really cool relationship with the beer hunter, Michael Jackson. And uh, so Beverage Place, serving up uh, spectacular craft beers for 12 years. Uh, and hello to uh, the staff here, Natalie, Rob, and Terry. And our number one advertiser, the Athenian Seafood Restaurant, the friendliest restaurant in town since 1909. And this fresh seafood restaurant always has pike beer, chuckanut beer, and Hills Ales available on tap. Here, here. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what we're doing today. We are talking to the three pillars of craft beer in uh, the Pacific Northwest and beyond. And it's uh, an incredible pleasure to have you guys on. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Charles Finkel, Mike Hale, and Will Kemper. <laughs> how, are you, how are you guys doing? Doing good. Hi, this Johnny. Is, you realize this is the most fun I can ever have. <laughs> <laughs> And I also got a question. I have no idea why I'm the guy that made this happen, but I did. So there you have yeah. it. Uh, I don't know what uh, gave me the right, but you guys were so awesome to say, uh, let's go ahead and do this. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited. So let's get on with it. Um, I was watching this uh, video, which uh, Mari uh, yeah. told us about. And I had seen it many years ago from 1984. You weren't on it, Mike, but you were around, and you were definitely... Uh, I was back over eastern Washington. You were in East in Colville. Washington! Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Washington, yeah. It was really exciting to watch that. I mean, uh, and the, some of the phrases that people used in that video, uh, it tastes like an American beer. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, there's more to life than bud. What do you think about that? Yeah. yeah, I think so. And... Uh, you were there to educate everybody, Charles, on... Uh, I was, and thanks, Mari, for sending me that, too. <laughs> I, I forgot all about it. Yeah. So you were, your mission has always been to educate people on, uh, on, on the it nature is, of craft because, beer? It is, because uh, if I do that, I can educate myself in the first place. Oh, there you so go. So that's the, the pleasure of it. And, and <laughs> thanks. <laughs> really, the pleasure of beer is learning about it e each time. Each, yeah. Each, each sip. Well, I, le I learned a lot from uh, talking to you over the years. And uh, when we go into the museum at Pike, it's amazing the, the things you learn there. And um, you were... Mike. So you, Mike, you were like bicycling around England. That's right. And... Uh, you know, I uh, was bicycling around England and uh, didn't know I liked beer till I got some fresh uh, craft beer. Yeah. So which... Uh, I mean... How long were you bicycling around England? Well, you know, there have been several trips. The very first trip where I discovered I did like beer was uh, actually in a Volkswagen in Germany. <laughs> walked into the Hofbrau house, and what are you going to do? You better have a beer. Comes well, in a quart glass. Yeah. So we were going to share one. 
but we were fighting over it. It was delicious. <laughs> I said, what's with this? What's yeah. with this? Anyway, uh, loved the beers of Europe, but came home and didn't like beer again <laughs> because it was American beer, and even imported beer at home was no good because it wasn't fresh. Right. So I uh, didn't like beer in America, so what are you going to do except start a brewery? Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> the longest-running family-owned brewery in Washington and certainly in the t- very small number in the whole country because I believe when you opened up, there were only, say, 85 brewers in the entire country. Or if that many. If yeah. that many, right. Yeah. I know that in 81, I think there were 82 breweries. Uh-uh. Okay. No. I don't think so. I think no. more no? like 40 no. or half no. now, Will, <laughs> now, you started a brewery because... Somebody told you to. Well, yeah. Uh, Mari said you love you love beer. Why don't you figure out how to make it? Right. Shazam. You know, it's like a light bulb coming off. And so, you know, that's what I did. Now, i got to say, the timing here. The timing here, as far as talking about Mike, and not he wasn't in that. But we started a brewery, Thomas Kemper, and we, we um, started, we released beer first in 1984. And what you're talking about, that... That showed when we first started to distribute those beers. And once again, 1984. Mike had already had, had the brewery going because I remember going to so many events at that time and Mike had, was coming from East, Eastern Washington bringing beer to folks here. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, Six hour so, drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and worth every uh, mile, I'm sure. But, so... Where's that? Uh, so, and you started uh, Thomas Kemper in what year? Uh, 84 was when Thomas Kemper started, and then then I went on to do brewing across America, overseas in Mexico, <coughs> Europe, and Asia, and ultimately decided to come back to the Pacific Northwest. Now, the other thing I want to say is that, is that we did a bit of uh, a research into this, the sheer numbers and timing. And so when Thomas Kemper was, was there, there were something like 29, 29 craft breweries in America at that time. Craft breweries. Craft yes. breweries. Craft breweries. I, was, I was just talking to a uh, okay. number of breweries altogether, but yes. And actually at that time, Washington State had more than any other state in the country. And by far, California right. had one or two, something like that. So this, was, <laughs> this truly was the mecca of beer, craft brewing. And it was the, the genesis of what is got going on these days. Well, all, all three of you chose to be in Washington. Is yeah. it, was it the water and the hops, or was it... Uh, it it's, mean, a, it's a bunch of crazy people getting together. It was in the air. You know, we were going to do it independent of Red Hook or Charlie or anybody else, uh, Burt Grant. It was going to happen, but uh, it was just that, you know, we were looking at before that. It was in the air. Yeah. So, so whether... You know, who was the... You know, so you mentioned Bert Grant. We actually had a question from the audience, a very interesting question. What do you, how do you measure, how do you talk about the effect that Bert Grant had on the craft beer industry in general and today? Um, f- to me, Bert, you know, I, Bert, the technical consideration of Bert is quite fascinating <laughs> as far as the approach he did and the approach as far as he would he'd be infamous for going into an account and trying to and putting in hop oil yeah, in the beer. To, oil with him. Oh yeah, he, yeah, it's a bizarre did approach. He, uh, did he go into Hales? Hales? And no, up he and didn't have any of our beer, but he was uh, his beer was delicious for the first <laughs> few years. <laughs> and he had a brewer there named Rick Demaray. If he's around, 
I'd sure like to get him to come by. I'd love to duplicate that early Grant's beer. It was uh, what style of beer was that? Far, it was a Scotch ale, a right. hoppy Scotch ale, very far and away the best at the time. And uh, I remember uh, they were having an anniversary or something. We flew in there. I have a I like little airplanes. We flew into Yakima and. Uh, his wife at the time, Bertie, drove this big flashy convertible, picked us up at the airport and took us into this uh, gathering. It was uh, a hoot. Yeah. Just a hoot. She was an extremely flamboyant gal, a lot of fun. <laughs> in, in that regard, uh, this week the Brewers Association uh, published a timeline on the growth of the craft brewing industry in I America. I saw that, yeah. In which case they said 1978, which happened to be the year that, that I founded Merchant of Van, was the low point, hopefully not because I founded Merchant of Van, <laughs> in beer, beer in America. And there were uh, 40 breweries at that time totally, down from 4,000 in 1878. And uh, uh, at that time there were two craft breweries, what we would now define as craft brewery in America. And uh, significant to that uh, report that the Brewers Association, I think that's available to everyone uh, online, said they have a photograph of Burt Grant in his Yakima Brew Pub. Right. And I think the significance uh, of Burt Grant is he created the first brew pub in America in modern times, right here in our state. Yeah. <laughs> we love a good brew pub. Now, now the other thing about that... Uh, with Bert, the beer business is a lot more than beer, and Bert <laughs> really typified that situation. Bert, you know, whether with it in his kilt, kilt or whatever, and he was a very forward person. His personality drove a lot of what was going on with, yeah. at that time. He, he was uh, a, a somewhat curmudgeonly, in fact, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he, he gave the best name of all to one of his beers based on his opinion of it. Perfect Porter. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. He made the perfect porter? Uh -huh. He said he did. He yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> but we all make a perfect porter. <laughs> exactly. Well, you all make beer. We have all your beer. We, we have a, a bunch of your beer in front of us. Um, and uh, I, I just want to say... Start light. Uh, this is delicious beer. Thank you. I'm drinking the Chuckanut Kolsch. Now, you've always been making lagers. And, uh, well, Kolsch is an ale. Yeah, I mean, a, you have yeah. lagers, and, yeah. but uh, that's right. Well, we, we do that, first of all, to be distinctively different. You know, we're most definitely. Um, the, the ales that are produced today, they're wonderful. Why should we do it? We, you know, we have, you know... Uh, we have an approach focusing in on German style and sometimes English style beers. The Kolsch, though, the Kolsch beer, by the way, it, it comes down to the technical consideration to me. You know, so um, that that beer, for example, the the ale strain, it comes from Cologne, Germany, where Kolsch is, you know, it, 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 it's from. And we get that. We we uh, initially now it's 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 maintained for us here. The malt and the hop profile, that comes from Germany, too. And so we work with that to get what we think is a pretty decent culture. It's and I can And I can say it's decent in that, yeah, we've been doing this for a long time now. And it's been fortunate, for example, the last JBF, 
it won the gold medal for in the Colts category. I'm just wondering why you didn't call it the perfect <laughs> Colts. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's one before. Thank you. Yeah. And it's to, it's to hone in on the characteristics of that particular beer style. If you like it, fine. If you don't like it, fine. It's a world out there of beer. And we work, yeah. And just like it's a world of people and their individuality, you know, taste buds and such. Be, you know, respect your individuality. But that culture, that culture is as good as you'll find any place in the world. It's spectacular. <laughs> and then uh, the chocolate, uh, the, the, it says whiskey alt. It's just a straight It's alt. just an alt. And, and so what it, it, it uses the same ale strain because I don't want to fool around with too many yeast strains because you optimize the yeast yeast performance there. And so, by the way, um, uh, Cologne and Dusseldorf are only about 20, 25 miles apart in Germany, but they're distinctively different as far as the alt and the Kolsch. But um, um, uh, they tend to they tend to use a lot of Germanic type of, of approaches in production, specifically low temperature. Why low temperature? Well, because it makes better beer. That's the idea. And, yeah, it's, you can work at the higher temperatures with these particular styles, but if you really want to hone in on, on the, the more subtle positive aspects, you have to go to the nth degree, and that we're talking lagering conditions. So, for example, the cold, we cold condition that at negative 1 degrees Celsius. The lagers we cold condition at negative 2. Why don't we do it with the cold? Because it literally freezes if we go 1 degree lower. So we get just above freezing ten temperature, and the cold conditioning is what goes a long way. By the way, that's one thing. The whole manufacturing pro process is subtlety, and that's one of the parts of subtlety. Wow, that's spectacular. And then we have here uh, Hale's American Pale, the first. Uh, this is your flagship Absolutely. beer. Absolutely, the first one I brewed. And the first pale ale in the Northwest, yes? Probably. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. This is... Uh, you know, I learned to beer in England, and while Will is fond of cool fermentations, we're fond of warm fermentations. Because <laughs> uh, subtlety is one thing, but character is another. <laughs> anyway, this is a English Ordinary Bitter, and I thought, well, that's a dumb name for a beer. They call it Ordinary. So I, we didn't want to call it that. We called it pale, Hale's Pale American Ale, even though it had its roots in England. It was made in America. Right. And it's uh, Pale Ale's a great style, and uh, really, uh, as they evolve over the years, you know, 32 years now, we've been yeah. making this, and it's evolved considerably. So in England, it'd be called an IPA. But... Uh, funny when i go back to england now i'm a little disappointed <laughs> <laughs> america rocks ah, the, st <laughs> the student becomes the teacher yeah. <laughs> and then and then the next one we have is your newest beer the el dazzle stout which el is dazzle um, yeah el dazzle el dazzle a dazzling uh, uh session stout kind of a very uh lovely drinkable stout uh, we're very very pleased with this and the uh, of course, a good beer needs a good name. Yes. So here you go. It's delicious. Salute. <laughs> All right. Um, and then we also, well, I'm going to taste this beer. This is a drinking show. <laughs> and then from you, Charles, we have the Space Needle IPA. 
which is relatively new to the brewery. Well, we brewed this beer. We won a contest among brewers that have various philosophies of how warm or cold they wanted to brew their beer. Uh, <laughs> and we won. And uh, we won the, <laughs> the uh, opportunity to name the beer Space Needle to commemorate their 50th anniversary. So their 50th anniversary was, the, of course, their golden anniversary. So though it's an oxymoron, we made a golden IPA. And uh, it's, beautiful. It's, a, it's a beer that uh, we're really proud of. We primarily use aromatic hops in the beer, so it's not, not too bitter. Uh, and it's one that continues to grow all the time, so people must like it. And personally, I, I love it. Oh, yeah. Cheers. Oh, that's great. And then also from Pike, um, I'm having another drink. Please give me a second. <laughs> and then also from Pike, we have now the tandem. You haven't uh, had this brewed in a few years, and now we have it um, oak aged. And yeah. I, I got to say, I love an oak aged beer, and this is beautiful. Yeah. So this is a, this is a r- brand new beer, uh, and and uh, originally my wife Roseanne and I ride a tandem bicycle and uh, bright orange tandem bicycle, and we have for years. And coincidentally, Kathleen and Mike ride a tandem bicycle. I don't know about Maury and Will. Do you ride one, too? No, I'd hurt myself. (laughs) I I thought all brewers did. (laughs) So we we thought a dandy name for a double ale in the Belgian style, like uh, like they make at West Mall or or, uh, Roquefort or Chimay, was tandem double. And uh, so we made a, a traditional tandem uh, as a seasonal beer a few years ago, and it was real, real well received. And we still have a few accounts that don't talk to us anymore because we discontinued it because we <laughs> brewed something else. But this time we took uh, essentially the same uh, double style ale and we aged it on oak cask from Dry Fly Distillery in Spokane. Oh, very nice. And uh, the proof of the pudding is in the drinking. Right. What do you, what do you think? Delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Smooth. It's time now for another drink break. Gross. You know, so when I, I'm going to go back to, the, um, uh, to that 1984 video. And when I was watching it, there were a bunch of things that occurred to me that really have not changed. There's, in many ways, nothing has changed. Um, the reason why they were saying, and you can correct me if this is wrong, but from my research... The reason why there are so few breweries at that time is because they were being bought up by the bigger breweries, um, right. and uh, there was the, the well. That that's that's the uh, the fact. But the reason was that they were all boring, and yeah. there was really no differentiation between a Heilman or a, a Olympia or a Blitz or a Lone Star or a Pearl or a. You could just go on across the country with these regional breweries. That that made ordinary beer essentially copying the quote unquote king of beer, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that's not something you would really want to emulate. But that's what they did because it was the most successful one. Yeah. So as that happened, there was no real reason to buy a Rainier other than their their creative advertising. In terms of the the sensory right. evaluation, it was ordinary. No no different. But it also seemed at the time that uh, you know. AB was trying to buy up the market, just as it seems 
is happening again in a different more. But AB, in fact, was not the brewery that was doing that. Oh, okay. AB did, didn't ever buy any other small breweries that accumulated them as part of their their portfolio. That was left to the Heilemans and the the Paps and the Falstaffs of the world. Right. And they they uh, were on an acquisition binge to try to compete with this juggernaut, which was AB, and uh, so. The, uh, Heilemann, particularly, they were the sort of the the, the ki- they were the kings of that uh, that uh, philosophy. They they had and still in that portfolio, which is now owned by someone else, scores of beers, maybe a hundred different beers from different breweries that they consolidated. So they thought if they had all those beers, they could compete with the big guy. But uh, year after year, those beers lost market share for the reason I mentioned earlier, and the only one that really emerged were the two big ones, Miller and, and uh, Budweiser. And why they why they really emerged is is their their business business approach is very different as far as their marketing. It was just so much superior to the other other exactly. Folks. And then and Miller yeah. Miller invented quote unquote light beer. That became people thought it was uh, very healthful, low low calorie beer. And uh, just the opposite, in fact. But uh, that became very, very popular. Right. So now here we are. Uh, it's, it still seems like there's a little bit of a battle between craft breweries and the, the, you know, the large breweries that are... Crafty breweries. Cra- cra- <laughs> right, that are crafty breweries. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the, the battle still seems to be waging on. And certain things are happening. You know, there's uh, breweries owned by Budweiser that are opening up uh, brew pubs on in Capitol Hill, and and uh, they bought Ballast Point for a billion dollars, and the, you know, and the list goes on. And then the latest article in uh, the Wall Street Journal, which is interesting, that uh, people are talking about is uh, AB is going to reward their distributors with 1.5 million dollars if 98 percent of the beer they sell is AB InBev. And uh, so there's a worry about capturing space in the markets and so well, on and so that's forth. That's always been true with the large distributors. Right. Big brewers want to dominate that, and it's uh, the consumer that's driven the demand for craft beer. Certainly here. Yeah. Well, yeah. everywhere. It's coming along everywhere, all over the country. We, When we first started, we walked into a tavern that has nothing but yellow beer. Hey, I got a beer I made. Yes. And uh, the taverns that were receptive were very receptive. Yeah. And we'd become their top selling beer, eight kegs a week. I mean, those those numbers are hard to do these days, but uh, yeah. it was pretty fun. And, uh, you know, we're selling for 35 bucks a keg. <laughs> and uh, they, could get the <laughs> they could get the domestics for 25 a keg. So how far can we stretch this? Well, I didn't know I couldn't make money at 35 a keg, but... If you never did a business plan, it doesn't really matter what you know or don't. <laughs> so we'd, uh, one way or the other, we'd survive. You know, 300 bucks a month wasn't bad over there in eastern Washington uh, yeah. for an income these days. But uh, <laughs> You know, it's funny. Last week I had a gentleman on the show uh, who has a bar called the Virginia Inn, Patrice. Patrice, yeah. And he was... Uh, and he was talking about setting up a craft beer tasting in the very early 80s. And we're trying to find out. He, he said it's perhaps the first craft beer tasting ever for the general public. And he said that you, Mike, <laughs> showed up and said, hey, I, w- I want to be part of this. <laughs> Let me in. <laughs> and, uh, 
And you were down there in the Pike Market in, uh, in that craft beer tasting. That's a six-hour drive through the snow. Yeah, six-hour drive through the snow. So, you know, that, that takes, a, takes you, a push. You know, I also want to point out, where Mikey said it's consumer-driven. And, Charlie, you were talking about the historical aspect as far as why light beers were so popular in the 70s and 80s and such. That was still is consumer-driven, too, for that. And what happens is we're people of our times. I call them victims of our times, so to speak. We live in our times. At that time, what happens, things were, uh, things were trying to be just standardized, and, and there was a, a big emphasis on you know, plasticizing everything, so to speak. And that was a, that was a trend. That was, that was where they are going. Then things like Haagen-Dazs happened. Then things ultimately like craft beer happened. But that was the nature of the times then, and it's only reasonable that, that people say, gee, there are alternatives. And that's truly what happened with a, f- a few craft brewers came online, and then ultimately we, you know, we joined that. But that was a time that now, now to go back to that time, it's an absurd con- consideration. But you know. I, I think, Will, that now people are more uh, thoughtful in their purchasing. Of course. They're more, yeah. they're more devoted to buying local and, and buying uh, family o- beer from family-owned breweries. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mentioned that these other beers are called crafty beers is I recently was on an airplane going to Japan. And there they had a selection on the uh, on the menu of wines and spirits and uh, craft beer. Uh, had they done it correctly, they would have said crafty beer because it was a beer. I won't give them the pleasure of mentioning the name, <laughs> but it was a beer owned by uh, the largest brewer in the world. You could hardly call that a craft beer, but people don't know, and and they've they've uh, commandeered that name craft beer to try to encourage it the only thing we can all do to fight that is is make people aware that uh that they're uh, when they buy some of those brands they're supporting the evil empire and uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's amazing that more more uh journalistic uh uh time has not been given to allowing people to know that because every time I mention that one that's opening a brewery up on Capitol Hill is owned by the evil empire people say the same thing oh, I didn't know that right yeah well the, of course you didn't because they don't want you to know that throughout if you knew that you yeah. wouldn't buy it throughout the country and the world really buy local is catching a theme see my shirt this yes is from Mexico it is from Mexico Consume local it uh, makes so much sense Yes. To buy local, and in beer, it's e- even more important because freshness is and a huge factor. How old is your slogan, think globally, drink locally, which is awesome? Yes. I don't know. Since the beginning? When Bill Pribe came to work for me. Ah, uh, there you go. The, uh, the other thing we have is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. And that's why uh, becoming a 100,000-barrel brewery is really anthema to the fresh local beer thought. Yeah. So, so what are you doing? Are you making great, fresh, local beer? Are you setting the world on fire and selling out for a billion bucks to somebody? Come on. Well, Buy I, local. I, I, I want to get into the, the question of the definition of craft beer, but before I do, I just want to uh, remind everybody that's not actually here at this incredible pub, the Beverage Place Pub, that you are listening to KKNW AM 1150. I'm Johnny Boyshire, and this is You Are Out on the Town. And there's our... All right. So, I, you know, 
I, I've been in uh, the craft capital of the world. You know, I was going to say earlier, you know, that the capital of craft beer is sort of mercurial. It's somewhere between southern Oregon and Bellingham. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just going to say that right now, today, it's right here with you three gentlemen. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is certainly uh, this is quite a momentous occasion. And uh, so... I'm thinking about everything I've learned in just this short eight years that I've been here. And to me, beer is more than just local. It's, it's family. It's, uh, you know, it's started on the farm. You know, the theme of my show, beer is food. And where is, in the definition of craft beer, I don't know if it's accurate when you read all of the legal terms, uh, you know, the number of barrels, which you mentioned, Mike, and... Uh, you know, do we need to redefine it so that people understand it? Um, I mean, the, um, the local thing is very important to me. And how well, many times can you multiply a recipe and still be craft? Well, first of all, when you talk about local, that suggests freshness. And so there are technical considerations why local fresh due to freshness is a key component of that. Yes. Charlie's talking about, you know, you know imported beers. Of course they're not as good. They could, you know, God could come down and make the best beer in the world. But by the time it gets you, it's gone bad. You know, that's the nature of it, and it's recognizing the, the, that importance of freshness. Finally, if you really want to get in-depth as far as what are the factors controlling this, th these, these flavor components, um, it's kind of a balancing. So the point is, if you add a lot of these factors that could have a lot of flavor, they can deteriorate very quickly as well. So that's a balancing act. As a brewer, you have to understand flavor curves and, and understand where your beer is going. But as far as you know, trying to impose a definition upon people and what they should or should not like, that's not correct. You, know, you can't they, do it. You can't do it. If somebody c says, Will, you should like this beer, and uh, sorry, maybe you're hypersensitive, non-sensitive, I don't know. But I know what I like and what I don't like. If you go across America, if you go across the world, what kind of beers do they like? What is their familiarity? What are their tastes? So to impose one area on another, mm -hmm. Lord. You know, we, I, I guess we tried, kind of tried that with Iraq, but no, it doesn't work. But it's interesting because uh, <laughs> what Charles was saying was that these, beer, these breweries that are not craft are sort of co-opting the word craft and sort of taking it over, so it's confusing. It's kind of an attitude, very much an attitude, and uh, to call a person a beer expert I think it's, a, it's kind of a crazy thing to do because everybody's their own individual <laughs> beer expert. Right. And, and if you make a beer that people are buying, it's a good beer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, it depends on maybe why they buy. I'd say the attitude is we go back to that fresh local beer. You want to make the best darn beer. Why Why'd I start a brewery? Because what a fun idea, but it wasn't unique to me. There's three a, three a day opening in this country right now. Yes. So a lot of people think it's a pretty good idea. Yeah. And it is. It's a universal uh, attractiveness to yeah. thinking you could make beer and sell it to somebody. When we started off, the BATF hadn't had a new application. The people I was working with had never dealt with a new application for a brewery. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of a learning curve for all of us. It was... Uh, it was really a hoot, and they, actually, it was not that hard. It was. Uh, and uh, well, actually, since I had the idea of uh, of doing this show, um, I guess last month, uh, 
we hit the mark of the largest number of breweries in the country since uh, the high mark back in the 1800s that you yeah. mentioned earlier. Yeah, about wonderful. 4,000 in, uh, in 1876, and now 4,300. Is that it, Matt? 4144. 4144. 306 are in Washington. Yeah. 306 so we, in Washington. Yeah, well, how about 8,000? But, but I, yeah. I want to remind you, Johnny, that when we, all of us, started... The term craft beer was not uh, was not known. We were microbreweries, and originally, when people came out with microbreweries, which I believe was a term that was created by Vince Catoni writing in the Seattle Post Intelligence or newspaper, though I'm not <laughs> sure about that. These microbreweries were defined as breweries producing less than 5,000 barrels a year. That was great until the biggest one exceeded 5,000, in which case they decided to redefine the, the <laughs> number. But I don't think it's so much as the, the, the amount of beer that a brewery brews, nor do I necessarily even think that it's regarding the quality of the beer that a brewery brews. What it regards is the commodification of our lives to support local entrepreneurs that, that employ local people and support local charities and our, 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 our friends and neighbors rather than some conglomerate that, that has plenty of money to spend to convince United Airlines that their craft beer should be theirs and, and that, that decidedly works against the, the craft brewery by, by trying to buy their way into the market rather than uh, doing it in the way that, that craft yes. brewers are doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, here, here. So it's an economic. Uh, it's, it is. That's still, a, philosoph a philosophy. It's a, it's a philosophy, yes, but it's still a bit of a fight. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to tell you what kind of beer to like. No, don't try. <laughs> However, <laughs> if I told you to buy local, well, that I, would make sense. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it makes sense. As Charlie was saying, you know, do you want to support the people you live with? Around, of course you do. You know, it's, it's absurd to think not. You know that it, it, you know rising tide. Well, you tell a lot of people yeah. you like this beer from California. You're talking about. Well, if I wanted to drink a California beer, I'd go to California. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, by the time it gets up here and gets into our market, you blind taste it with Washington yeah. beers of a similar category. You're going to prefer the Washington beer, and. Uh, that's uh, the difference between marketing and truth. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so um, I have a few questions uh, that we grabbed from the audience. Um, and one of them is, what sparked the Northwest IPA? Was it a person, a brewery, or a specific hop? Um, I'm not the right person to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the people you say, how'd you come up with that beer? Well, I think pretty much every beer is a copy of somebody else's beer. When I was making uh, my first beer, I was copying English beer. Right. And uh, the beautiful thing about 4,000 breweries, and would be even better if there were 8,000 breweries, is uh, the creativity people bring to the table. And uh, we, flow, we flow to the goodness. And, uh, you know... A a little hops was pretty good. More hops was better. <laughs> so uh, that's, well. what, that's what became of that, how it, it kind of was a flow as everybody were moving towards the, good, the goodness. Right. And the goodness is best discovered by little guys 
that cannot afford to take a chance, but that's all they do is take chances. There you go. <laughs> These big guys, they can afford to take chances, and they, but they never do. They never do. That's why they can buy all the craft breweries they want, but they're all going to descend to their lower common denominator. <laughs> and uh, it's just not a threat. Keep buying them. It doesn't matter. This, all so right. What so bothers me more is some of the crafts that want to be uh, gargantuan themselves. Right. Like we're, we're at 10,000 barrels and we employ 45 people. Well, a 100,000 barrel brewery would also employ about 45 people. So why not have 10 10,000 barrel breweries employing 450 people? All right. And having well. 10 All right. And having 10 uh, ma uh, brewmasters instead of one brewmaster. Yeah. I mean, that's where it's at. We got to we got to step in and, and uh, quit buying beer from out of state because that's the only way you get big. Right. If you want to get bigger than 10,000 barrels, you got to go out of state. Yes. One, one thing I want to add, Mike, is that, uh, uh, as you can see, there are philosophical approaches in how we live our lives and make beer. Yeah. And the beautiful thing of the numbers, I agree with you wholeheartedly as far as 8,000. Oh, it's going to hit there. When I'm not sure. Soon enough, it's going to hit there. What's going to be wonderful, then, is we're going to have information. We're going to ha be able to see what's going on, an evaluation. The bottom line of that is it's going to enable brewers to make to be better. Always push yourself to be better in Absolutely. that regard. Yeah. By the way, you're not pushing yourself to be better if you say more is better. <laughs> right. And right. Right. And well, it depends until you get to enough. Well, it, <laughs> it, it depends upon what's called a flavor profile, pr personal preference. And when you talk about that, there are people, you can divide people into sensitive, hypersensitive, non-sensitive, and the rest of us. So the point is, you, you know that some people can't detect something. Some people need to be hit in the head with a two-by-four. Yeah. Well, hey. other, other people who... I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's, that's the beauty, though, of, of the diversity and the numbers getting broader. What happens is, as a consumer, they will have much more options. Much more options. You haven't had some beers that you'll be able to walk away and say, that is wonderful. Those are going to be coming down the line. And, and that, that's, what's going, that's happening with the craft uh -huh. brewing Amen. movement. So speaking, speaking to your point, Will, more is better. That definitely, getting back to your question, John, Johnny, applies to pops. More is not necessarily better. So if grandma's recipe for bolognese sauce is a, a, a tablespoon of oregano, that doesn't mean a cup of oregano is going to be better. And so, yeah. so uh, the fact is that a lot of times people ignore their own local market and it's someone else like San Diego discovers that they can encourage people to drink beer with that I, I define as too many hops when I can still taste them the following day. So, uh, and so I think that, that hops are easily identifiable, and people, they are good, no question about it, and some people just equate just like, just like smokiness or just like spiciness. The more it is, the better it's got to be, but if it's so spicy you can't taste it, is that better? If it's so smoky you can't taste what it is, is that better? And if it's so hoppy you can't taste the malt, you can't. You, there's no balance of the beer. That's not better. Well, but, balance is always the yeah, question. So, so you, we, struck, you struck a chord yeah. there, I think. We, <laughs> we, we brewed Pike IPA originally in 1990. 
So I think we're one of the longest continually branded IPAs in the country. And it was kind of like you could fall asleep thinking about it. No one, no one knew what an IBU was. They hardly knew what hops were. And, uh, but over a period of time, it's not just our own breweries. It's breweries in California. It's breweries in New York. It's breweries in Minnesota and Michigan and, and every place in the country that are hop crazed these days. Yeah. We just happen to be in a position where hops are in our backyard. Right. We're lucky in that the, regard. The other thing on that, Charlie, is that, is that um, you're talking about the assumption that you do have hop, a bitterness due to hop hopping. There are things called yeast bites in a beer and a lot of IPAs that I've had on the market it's been suggested to me oh these are wonderfully bitter beer no that's a damn yeast bite and what's a yeast that, bite Explain well what that. happens is it, it's non-concern of your production conditions and so you're you're letting the the yeast deteriorate deteriorate to the point of autolysis and the point being is you release certain certain uh, bittering actually uh, bittering components this is not an alpha iso-alpha acid type of bite. It is due to a disintegration of an animal, or not an animal, but, but, but a, a yeast. Okay, if you, if you like that concept, if you like that wonderful concept of bitterness due to that, throw in dead mice and cats. You'll get even more. But, but that's what it Lord, is. And I so actually it, tried a beer made by one of those big brewers. <laughs> we opened a can of worms with uh, Washington IPA. But I, I know. There's, I know. Uh, it's, it's true. It's easy to go over the top, but uh, I don't think any of those people are sitting right here right today. Right, right. <laughs> balance is important. Well, balance is important in absolutely everything in life. Yeah. So, you know, and, uh, and uh, beer is, well... Bears life, right? <laughs> so. let, let me also, we we're talking about the historical aspect. I, uh, I've been in, in brewing since the 1980s. I've been in the Master Brewers Association since, since around that time, too. And I remember going to MBA meetings, and at that time, I was the only micro or craft brewer going to a lot of these meetings. Now you go to these meetings, and, and it's pre- predominantly craft brewers, which is wonderful because they're striving for information. When I was younger, I, stri- you know, I was striving for information, too. It wasn't available to me. It was a horrible time there. But I do remember going into these, um, these meetings, and as I said, I was the only one. And I sent with the brewmaster at Stroh's back in Philly one time. He said, look around, Will. There's 12 master brewers here, of which two of us are pra- practicing our craft. Wow. That goes to the consolidation aspect. Besides that, what happens is we're talking about people. So when you look at those... You look at families, too. You look at that situation. That was the nature of the industry there. Fortunately, because of crap ring coming online, it's getting positive. It's getting wonderful. Yeah. It's the most exciting time ever to, to be a consumer of beer or to be in the beer world. It is really amazing what is happening right now. It is. Uh, and, you know, uh, the three of you come from three totally different places and end up being really three pillars of the craft beer industry and uh thank you john you don't need to say that oh <laughs> does he mike well, okay, he did, he did. He did. <laughs> no it's really it, 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 it's really amazing i mean i told people that i had this idea and people looked at me like you think you can do that? <laughs> and then when I actually made it happen, they were uh, pretty amazed. And, you, uh, we don't feel like pillars. We were just there <laughs> early on and uh, regular guys. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
But things happen, you know, and that's what you know, and that's really where it comes from. I mean, um, it's it's interesting. A couple of things, uh, you know, the longest running, continually family-owned brewery, uh, you know, in, certainly in the state. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the person who brought uh, Trappist beers uh, to, to, you know, to the palates of of of, uh, of uh, I mean, and broadened our horizons about beer. Of course, my horizons weren't broadened until I met Matt Yount, my very own beer salon. And and you know, I, I, I you've been around doing a lot of different things, and I what I really want to know is. What was the thing that happened that got you into it initially? How did you, how did you start? <laughs> and how is somebody else going to start? Well, Talking to Will, yeah. Yeah, well, well you know, I was, we were living in Boulder, Colorado at the time. And my wife you know, said, you, know, you love beer so much, why don't you figure out how to make it? Right. And it, oh, yeah, and that opened it up and uh, went from there. And, and how did you start to love beer, though? I mean, what, what, did, you, what did you drink that... Th- that's like asking, how do you learn to love air? <laughs> you, know, that, you know, for me, for me, I would have beer over virtually... This is my problem. I would have beer vo- over any kind of beverage or food, really. Right. I love beer so much. There you go. <laughs> now we know the beer that got you into it was in England. Well, yeah, I, I, I was in America. I didn't like beer. Right. It was awful. I had to go to Europe to like beer. Exactly. Yeah. And so, that was an accident. It was an accident. And 20 years after that first sip of, of fresh German beer, uh, I started a brewery. It took 20 years. It took 20 years. Yeah. Well. And... Uh, course it's, it's it's been a lot of work but a lot of fun i mean the longest job i i've had numerous careers 30 years is by far the longest uh, stint <laughs> well it's good. So it must be good and how did you start to well i uh, i was always a beer lover i love the uh anything earthy and vegetative of the soil and so just the aroma of beer, even if it was third-class beer, which I mixed with tomato juice in order to make it palatable, <laughs> I, I really love that aroma. And, and uh, if it's, it was cold enough, if a Grisadick is cold enough, or a Stag, or those are the beers that, that were out where I grew up in Oklahoma, it's tolerable, particularly with tomato juice. But as, uh, <laughs> as I traveled, and I traveled as a wine merchant in my early career, I loved things that were sensory. Food is a sensory phenomena. Drink is sensory. And so I observed with wine how sensory it really was. A lot of other people shared my observation uh, and wrote about it. But with beer, that prior to the time that, that I decided to devote a little energy to, to beer, that had not been done. And so with beer, uh, I, I determined there was a market for a beer that that was sensory that had different flavor characteristics based on how it was built but uh, brewed and i set about to discover what that was and in doing so i introduced a lot of different styles of beer to to not only to america but to the brewers that i contracted with in, in various places to say hey one of the beers upon which your whole industry is built in great britain is porter but no brewery in England makes a porter. Can you imagine that? 
I did not know right. that. Right. Or an oatmeal stout. Not one brewery in England, according to Michael Jackson, had made an oatmeal stout in 100 years. Really? So we reintroduced oatmeal stout, not only to the American public, but to the brewer that brewed it in Yorkshire, England. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let, let me also add, uh, you asked, uh, so which beer? And many years ago, Charlie did a, uh, he's uh, representing the Osbury out of N- Norway. And we were in Seattle, I was working f- for an engineering firm, and I went to this the shop, and I had an Os Christmas beer. It's like, you know, once the most wonderful thing I ever had. And uh, so that kind of was started started me into the prof- well, gee, I you know got to make a living doing that. You know, gotta, I mean, exactly. Like, do it. So it's that Oz Christmas beer. Years later, I was doing an event with with a um, a brewer from Oz. So I actually had to, well, you know, I had to tell him my story, and I said, "What was with that Oz Christmas beer that made it so special?" He looked, and well, you know, he, well, nothing much. We just kept it in the tank another month. That was it. That was so, a subtlety so, beer. That so was coinc- su- coincidentally, that was the beer that the liquor board uh, had a cease and desist on yeah. because I did the label and Santa was on the label. <laughs> yeah. And so their contention was that kids would drink this beer if, uh, if Santa was on the label. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just as, a, as an aside, I had uh, friends in high places, that is with the Seattle Times, and I mentioned that to them, and they put it in the paper, and the liquor board reversed their decision. Did they good? <laughs> <laughs> the, the light of day. Now that's. Uh, I'm sorry. What you The say light that? of day. Yeah. The light of day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was. Uh, I mean, that's always been a concern because uh, actually, in that video that we talk that I come back to again, there was concern about the Rainier ads were uh, causing children. It was like, it was for children. It was aimed at children. The the running of the Rainier bottles and uh, uh-huh. and so that's always a concern. But beer names and labels have always been, as you said earlier, they always have to have a good name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but not a kid name. But not a kid name. <laughs> you know, we are live uh, on KKNW AM 1150, so I do have to say we do a lot about uh, drinking uh, on this show. We talk a lot about, uh, um, you know, <laughs> going out and so on and so forth. But uh, I do, I do want to just a uh, little public service announcement. Uh, we never drink and drive. Uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook, You're Out in the Town, and friend us. And if you drink and drive, unfriend us because we don't like that. Uh, just want to throw that in. Uh, very important. You uh, have thousands of listeners every quarter hour <laughs> who need to know that. There are thousands, 10,000 quarterly hour listeners. Um, I have to, I have got one more thing to get to, and that is uh, we really seem to be at a plateau and maybe a launching point uh, in the industry of craft beer for a number of reasons, for what's going on with uh, you know, the big boys buying people out and for the number of breweries here. And uh, how do we make this what's happening here with brewer Pat Ring from Diamondots here? And uh, we have other brewers here, that all kinds of people that came out to see you. How do we make this a launching point to, you know, propel the industry to get people to understand drink locally think globally what, what do we do like how do we do it as a group just do it 
just drink it? For, you know, for me, once again, it goes, boils, down, boils down to a technical consideration. That's all I am, you know, it's a technical thing of making beer. And what happens is if you don't drink fresh beer, beer that's intended to, you know, it, 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 it's, like for, you know it's like virtually any other kind of dish. Well, let's make a wonderful steak, steak dinner and send it to someplace else in God's creation month away and do it. Right. No, the freshness is key. If you understand flavor, the science of flavor as well, why that is so important. Now, what we try to do is, is we try to optimize the flavor, the flavor peak, so to speak, or around the flavor peak for the consumer. A brewer should address that. But the point is... In a technical sense, if you're not talking fresh beer, you're not really addressing the best possible. Do you want to eat and drink the best possible? Yes. If not, yes. if not, drink other beer. But if you want the best, you got to go fresh. Well, I don't know that we have created this movement or driven this movement. I think you kind of have. It's the truth that has driven this movement. And the truth is, fresh beer is better. Local beer is fresh beer. And uh, you're also supporting your local community and your, your local workers. Yes. Uh, hopefully it will continue. We, we, uh, small is beautiful. <laughs> small is beautiful, and, uh, yes. I don't think that will ever change. And uh, the big guys can buy a brewery, but there are ten guys waiting in line to come in. Right. So uh, I would hope and, and uh, trust and even pray that... Uh, We'll get to 8,000 breweries because I think that's, that's going to be the best. There we go. Right I'm, I'm going to start a brewery now. I'm, I'm, inspired. <laughs> I'm inspired. You're going to have the first radio brewery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll do it. I'll brew it live on the radio. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think we're in a very exciting time for, yes. for craft beer. The selection is phenomenal. The scholarship uh, is phenomenal. More is written about it. More information is available. More people are knowledgeable. There was a time when you mentioned a st brewing style that was different than a pale ale, which was the most popular beer uh, originally when craft brewery started, uh, and people were didn't know what you're talking about. But now, I, I went to a dinner party the other night, totally non-related to beer, and I, I, I mentioned that I was in the beer business, and three people told me about what their opinion was about IPA, and <laughs> how, how many bitterness units it has, and who's doing what, and what kind of varieties of hops are in those IPAs. And it's, it's heartwarming to recognize people really care. They care about what they're drinking, and so I think that that uh, as long as we continue on the road of, of supporting good beer, w w the breweries, as you say, Mike, can buy all the breweries they want. Craft beer is here to stay. It's been around for 10,000 years. There we go. Craft beer is here to stay. Been around for 10,000 years. It'll be around for another 10,000 years. Gentlemen, it's amazing how quickly you can eat up an hour. Will <laughs> Kemper, Mike Hale, Charles Finkel on You're Out of the Town. It's, re it's really been the most incredible pleasure. Thank you all very much for listening to You're Out on the Town. This is the show about everything great in Seattle where it never rains, there is no traffic, and beer <laughs> is truly craft food. Thank you very much. Good job. Gentlemen, thank you. Awesome. Great job. <laughs>
she makes my mouth water. 